Food and Beverage Magazine Live, bringing food and beverage to life with your hosts, James Beard Award winner Jennifer English and Food and Beverage Magazine publisher Michael Politz. Featuring leaders in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. You know, we have a lot of friends in the business. Well, lucky us. You know what they say, water seeks its own level. And if you have lovely friends, the old saying goes, tell me who your friends are and I can tell you who you are. Ooh, that's not so good one for me. (laughs) I don't even want to talk about my friends. I don't even know if they're my friends half the time. Yeah, but you know what the thing that I love about our friends? Mm -hmm. They are really generous people. And... They, like us, are looking at the world and saying, we're all in this together. Let's get through it together. I'm hoping they say, oh, Michael's book comes out next week. Let's buy it. (laughs) Did you tell everybody we're going to have a launch party? No, we're not having a launch party. I just got notification. It's in the warehouse, packed right now. Go to Amazon, type in Pulitz, and you'll get my book. Um, in, can you believe it? If they're packed in a warehouse right now and they're launching next week at all the Are barns. You and you go, I'm a little excited. You can go into Barnes and Noble and pick it up too. Are you going to go to every Barnes and Noble and say, there's my book? My mom is. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm going to be shy. I mean, you know, I'm shy about that stuff. I'm a little shy about that. No, but I, may... I have to say. You are one of the most misunderstood people I've ever known in my life because on the surface, people think you are gregarious and audacious and, you know, bold and, and, and handsome, you handsome. Bit, but you are also the main. Wait, wait, bitch. did you leave hand? You left handsome out. You left handsome out. I was getting there. Oh, okay. But I'm also, what? Keep talking about me. I like this show so far. Yeah, you're also one of the menchiest menches I've ever known. You are just a consummately good guy. And people will assume lots of things, many of which are just not true. But isn't you, that fun? It's almost it's almost like you get to hide in plain sight. But they're all bad things. Like It's not like, wow, he is the wealthiest man I've ever met in my life. Right? It was never that. It was, God, that guy. And, then, and it's not even me. That and guy that would walk a thousand one. miles without shoes on for his friend, right? He'd give his right. shirt off his back to anybody in the world, right? You you That's would what, literally give the shirt off your back to a friend. Well, I'd feel super fat, first of all. Let's start with me. <laughs> it would be, and that would be a little harder to do, right? No, I'm sure I have probably given, I know I've given shorts off myself to people. You know, what do you want to do? I, I might like to know that juicy story because to know, you know what the theme of today's show is? What? You know how at the beginning of our promo and introduction to the show, we say juicy? Oh, we do? Juicy show. Is it a juicy show? Oh. And aren't we starting with like the greatest juice that has ever been made? Some will argue that we are going to be talking about and celebrating the greatest juice in the world. 
Of course, we're talking about wines that come from Napa Valley, California. Some people will say Italy, Spain, France. But what has happened in the last 50 years is that California has emerged as one of those glorious places that has been touched and literally given. But how lucky are we to have this guest? How lucky are we? I don't even know how you did this. How did you do it, by the way? Because this amazing woman who is from Napa Valley, California, that place that God touched and said, this is one of those places the good juice will come from. Let's see how long it takes them to figure out great juice can be made here. Took us a little while, but you know, you gotta remember we didn't get to California until a little bit later. They were already making good juice in Europe and in other parts of the world, but that's that's jumping ahead a bit. Today's a juice. Oh, look at this guy. He loves Opus One. Who you know, everybody loves Opus One. Well, if you know anybody that loves wine and you said, what are the five most delicious wines you ever had from California? Invariably, mm -hmm. people will say the Silver Oak Cellars, Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, let's bring Bonnie on. I can't keep her alone backstage. Can we just I bring know. her on? I'm gonna bring her on, but I'm just this is the this is the buildup. But we can bring her on, and I'll and I'll say this in front of her because right. it's I love so when you talk in front of her. who is joining us today from her home in Napa Valley, California along one of the most delicious stretches of road anywhere in the world. We're thrilled to have her joining us. She's not only the co-founder of Silver Oak Cellars with her late husband, Justin Meyer, but she's also the co-founder of the Meyer Family Vineyards, picking up on a legacy that prizes the art of winemaking. We're gonna talk a lot about art today because both of our guests have really juicy stories to tell and how the word juicy and the way that we think of art are all part of the way that they live their life, make their art, do their work, and share so incredibly generously with all of us. Bonnie Meyer, welcome. Thank you very much, Jennifer. Good to be here with you. Bear with me here because I'm going to uh, read from the back of a bottle of Bonnie's Vineyard, the 2015 Cabernet Sauvignon from Oakville, because it's such a charming beginning to the story that we've all now grown to know and love. And we're going to actually enhance a bit today. Jennifer, Jennifer, can you be a journalist and not a fangirl right now? I mean, you're getting well, a little crazy. No. You're fangirling on Bonnie. You've been talking about Bonnie for three days with me. Yes, I'm going to gush. I'm sorry. That is not journalism. I want you to stick to journalism. No. Listen, at the James Beard Awards, they take the media people who are the radio and the TV people, and they give us our whole separate event because they've got to keep the journalists and those really technically unsponsored people and their journalistic integrity separate because they know that's not me. I think you need to be behind the ropes on this one, though. Right, I'll I'm going to let you and Bonnie chit-chat. So I'm going to read from the 1974 origin story on the back of the bottle of the Meyer Family Cellars bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon. In the spring of 1974, a small pasture of clover was planted to Cabernet Sauvignon and dubbed Bonnie's Vineyard. This was a gift from Justin to his young wife. Together they nurtured the new vines, their family, and the wines that later made this vineyard famous. 
So it's with great pleasure that we bring you Bonnie's Vineyard Cabernet Sauvignon from this small celebrated vineyard in front of our family home in Oakville, Napa Valley. And it's signed Bonnie Meyer and M Matt Meyer, your son. Yes. Yeah, I'm very proud that Matt Matt has carried on the tradition started started by Justin. And of course, on the back of the label, it refers to Justin. And like many celebrated people, uh, no last name is needed, although we've already said Meyer. But but it's because to the legions of wine lovers in the world, um, Justin is of course Justin Meyer, formerly brother Justin. We'll get to that part of the story. Uh, from Christian Brothers, who became your husband and the founder, along with you and your business partner of the Silver Oak Cellars, one of the pivot points in, in the revolution that became the California wine industry. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about uh, Justin Meyer uh, as a prelude to the story that we're going to tell about what happens next. <laughs> The first word that came to mind is Justin was a character. Uh, he, he was a Christian brother for 15 years. And uh, I used to tell him I never would have married him had he not spent 15 years in the monastery. He, um, he was actually sacrilegious, believe it or not. And, what way? and <laughs> um, he just didn't... Uh, one of its greatest qualities is he just didn't take uh, anything too seriously, including uh, anyone who was pious or or um, was following the letter of the law. Uh, he joked about everything. Anything was a source of lightheartedness for him. That sounds like you're describing joy. He he was yeah he was full of joy. And and again, yeah, lighthearted. We started out our friendship by uh, singing uh, and playing music together. Um, and, but and, Jennifer, not, Jennifer yes. do not sing for Bonnie, please. Please, please spare the viewers. Spare <laughs> the viewers. <laughs> but if I did sing, I would sing. How dry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, if I'm not mistaken, um, Bonnie, one of you is a is a banjo player, and one of you is a guitar player. Yeah, when I met Justin, he was still a, a brother. We were at UC Davis. He was studying, getting a master's degree in viticulture, and I had just begun as a freshman studying psychology. And I was invited to his um, where he was staying at a professor's house. Professor Omos, since you're familiar with so familiar with wines. Uh, Dr. Omo was one of the foremost viticulturists in the world. And Justin was not only staying with him, but he uh, was studying with him as well. Well, anyway, I was invited to their, their home. It was Justin's birthday. I took out my guitar to sing happy birthday and his eyes lit up and he went into the back room and came back with his homemade banjo. And uh, we spent the next two hours playing music together. That was 1967. And Hootenannies, uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Kingston Trio, um, people were just getting together and singing those songs. So we knew all these songs in common. A golden moment of folk music. Let's, yeah. Yeah. let's come to the present for the moment and talk about the California wine industry and 
uh, and how important California is today in the world of wine from where you sit as someone at the literally not only heart, but birthing room of the California wine industry. Well, I'm just gonna start by talking about the past for a moment. In the late 1960s, when I met Brother Justin, Christian Brothers was one of the largest wineries in, uh, in the United States and, and the world. And they were making 40 different varieties at that time. And, and, and uh, excuse me, Bob, to be clear yeah. on the history for people, um, these were both table wines and sacramental wines, correct? Table, yes, and they were dessert wines and brandy. So there was everything across the board. If it had alcohol in it, they made it. And, uh, and to this day, Christian Brothers brandies are some of the most universally um, accessible California brandies one yes. can enjoy, and they're and they're and they're exo just delicious. Yes, yes. And the brothers were making these wines and brandy uh, to support their schools. They had a mission of teaching uh, poor, poor, poor kids. It started out as poor boys, and then it uh, migrated to poor kids. Well, anyway, you go from then, and and Napa Valley at that time, I think, had about uh, fifteen wineries, and most of the wine that was made was was in uh, gallons, what we call jug wine, and very blended. Uh, the Christian Brothers made blended wines, non-vintage. And and then you thought, say, oh. some of these and and Bonnie, we should say some of these wines were delicious. Oh, absolutely, yeah, they they absolutely were. Um, but you fast forward to today, and Napa Valley has over five hundred wineries. Wow. And uh, the number of varieties has drastically reduced. I mean, there used to be um, Carignan and Charbono and Alicante Boucher and a Green Hungarian were planted here in the Napa Valley in the late 60s, but no longer. Napa Valley, uh, the valley proper is almost all Cabernet Sauvignon. Actually, Silver Oak had a lot to do with that. Um, some some Sauvignon Blanc, and then south is more some Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. But but the the number of varieties that wineries focus on today is drastically reduced, and the quality has has risen over time. And of course, the proliferation of wineries. Bonnie, when we talk about capital F fine arts, we oftentimes will refer to painting and sculpture and dance and, and and for a very long time we never bundled the culinary arts and the hospitality arts in that capital f fine arts bundle and today we certainly do it's still not equal footing no one's going to necessarily consider winemaking where it should be on par with painting um, but can you talk a little bit about being part of the place in the world that helped us introduce that appreciation for the hospitality arts and the and the capital F fine arts of food and drink, of especially food and wine? You were there, and it was just a very different time. We can't imagine it today, but you were there. Can you take us back? 
Wow. Um, okay. Back back then. Just from the then, sense that everything that we now think of today in terms of the fine arts of the hospitality arts mm -hmm. was growing. We thought of Europe. Uh, yeah. The greatest chefs came from the Swiss Hotel School Escoffier tradition. Uh, yeah. We thought the best food in the world uh, didn't necessarily come from American regions, but of course now we know better thanks to James Beard and the chefs that brought regional cuisine to life. Mm -hmm. we, we thought higher of those Michelin stars and those old traditions and didn't necessarily realize that we had in our midst such glorious accomplishment <laughs> and fine art on the table and in the glass. And so what was it like to be there as we were waking up to this? So going back to the 1960s, if you went I to a tasting room- I think we were still waking up into the 90s and today we're still waking up. <laughs> yeah, uh, back then tasting was free. It was very simple. You go to a tasting room, you got a glass of wine and that was the end of it. Um, it was the beginning of a lot of people being introduced to fine wines, but there weren't, there wasn't the association of wine and food really at the winery level. Today, so many wineries will actually offer food as part of the tasting experience. And in fact, the title of my book, Perfectly Paired, I'm gonna actually, hold it. <laughs> um, actually it's a, uh, it has a double meaning. It, it it refers to the relationship between me and my husband, but we often talk about food and wine pairing. And and uh, there is a lot of uh, effort and, and focus put in, put into pairing a perfect pairing of wine and food. And when you when you experience that, it's unforgettable. Uh, but wine people ask me about being in the wine business and winemaking is an art it's it's a it's a science and an art so a lot of science goes into it my son matt was here earlier today and he was walking the vineyard uh, with a consultant and they came up with a, a different idea of what they how they might tend the vines for maximum potential and so there's a lot of science. We, we measure how much water is in the earth. We measure how much water we put on the vines. We measure, uh, we measure the, the, uh, um, the minerals that are in the vines and decide we can actually target what kind of vitamins and minerals a vineyard might need. So there's a lot of science that goes into the grapes and a lot of science that goes into winemaking, temperature and choices. But but it's the art that makes the difference. You can give 12 winemakers the same grapes and they will make 12 different wines every time. And the same thing of a chef, right? You can give a chef, uh, 12 chefs the same ingredients and they will come up with something different. I'll and, go as far as to say you can give 12 cooks the same recipe and the yes. same ingredients and you will still get 12 different dishes like, because there's something that happens that you, describe in your book and and that's one of the things we really were excited to talk to you about today and that's your use and understanding appreciation for and celebration of the word alchemy mm -hmm. which i'm going to ask you to help define for everybody mm -hmm. because to me 
it's magic without using the word magic, but it means so very much more, especially in the hands and the heart with the intention of an artist. Can you tell everybody when you write as you do so beautifully and powerfully and vulnerably in this book, it's a very intimate memoir and we'll get to that in just a minute, but you, you allude to and use this word in the fullest scope I've ever seen it used in the realm of food and drink. And I would ask you, what is alchemy to you? So to me, alchemy is when you take something ordinary and transform it into something extraordinary by what you do. And it can be applied to many things. It's not just about turning lead into gold. Uh, wine is actually, and I didn't know this um, until just a few years ago, wine has been a symbol of alchemy since the earliest times. And grapes grow all over the world. I think they, they maybe are not in the Arctic, but other than that, uh, they are everywhere. They're ubiquitous and they grow wild. And one can make wine out of them, but it's not gonna be great wine. So you take those grapes and you start selecting for the best um, examples of that particular grape. And then over a long period of time, different varietals emerge as they have in, in uh, Europe. The only varietal that I know of that, that people consider native to California, but it, I don't think it's even native to California, is, uh, is Zinfandel. It, it really grew in popularity here, but our, our varieties come from Europe. And over a long period of time, people, people really work hard to, to select the best um, clones, the best examples of those varieties. So that started, it started in the vineyard. And then over time, the winemakers have um, made, I don't know, they carefully, it's like wine, each vintage is like a child. And I have three children and boy, are they different from each other. <laughs> and, and um, I think of the, the role of a parent, the role of a mother is to bring out the best in each child. And the same thing with the winemaker, you taste each vintage and the role of the winemaker is to bring out the absolute best in that and what you're given and what that vintage is. Of course, it come then is no surprise to anybody who learns the story through your book that Brother Justin was an educator, a teacher, a coach of young people, coaxing them to imagine and dream their best. You were an educator in your own right. And now we see that the intention, that very important intention to make these possibilities manifest, which right. is silver oak, is something that I think is sorely lacking in the narratives what were the intentions? And I, and I think you come to a place in your life where you've gone back and, and with this book in particular, been able to really analyze and share what the intentions were that made Silver Oak great, made your marriage enormously successful and get us to where we're gonna go uh, next. And I, I wanted to have you address how you've come to think of intention as being a, important part of any alchemy. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it certainly is. Our intention, our intention in retrospect, our, our intention in Silver Oak was to make the best 
Cabernet that we possibly could and to have it as a single focus. And we were considered a little crazy just producing one wine uh, because at that time people were producing um, usually about 15 different varietals. But we bet it all. And you didn't so pick more was like, <laughs> I'm sorry? I said, I didn't, are you glad you didn't pick more Vedra? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, but in retrospect, I, I uh, realized today that who we were was certainly reflected in our business and how people felt about Silver Oak, the people who worked for us, the people who were our purveyors, our distributors, and our customers. And, and that our love for each other, Justin and my love for each other, I really do believe infused the wine and infused everything we did. And um, that, I wouldn't call that an intention. It was an outcome, but then in retrospect, I realized that that was probably the most important secret sauce that we could have introduced. Secret sauce, inspiration, intention. Those are which came first uh, words, right? Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. The reason I wanted to approach our conversation today, which is gonna be far too short to cover everything that I really would love to talk to you about, uh, is because in the world of turmoil in which we exist today and the industry in which you have had a marvelous 50 years, which is almost hard to believe, um, success dating all the way back to, or nearly 50 years, 40 plus years, mm -hmm. um, that it's very difficult to look around the world of hospitality and restaurants and not see people who have both been inspired and lost faith. And I thought about who we could talk to today to get all of us woken up to the fact that in this moment that the COVID crisis and the racial crisis and the financial outcomes and the recession that has just been designated have all impacted our world with. That we could turn to someone who has had such loss herself and the gift of inspiration and success. And with this book and perspective as our jumping off point asked you, if you'd be good enough to share with us, for all of us in this business struggling at this moment, how do we survive something like this where it feels like we've lost everything? If we've lost our restaurant, it might not open again. It might not open for a while. We've lost our customers. We've actually lost people. Grief has become a part of our world. I know grief is an important part of your story. I know that's a big place to jump off into, but I've read your beautiful book and I've heard interviews with you and I, and I know that you're the person who can take us there and lead us through this. So the Perfectly Fair begins with this, the story of Justin's sudden death. Um, we were on a picnic with friends up in the Sierras, and he had a heart attack and he was gone. I'm so sorry. And that was a, a pivotal moment in, in my life. Everything changed. And for many months, and 
I would say even a couple of years after that, I was feeling pretty lost. I, my identity was challenged. Uh, just a few months before that, we owned Silver Oak. We had just sold Silver Oak. So we owned Silver Oak. I knew what my role was there. I knew what my role in my family was. I was a mother and, and wife and um, leader in the wine industry and then, then not. So the first thing I needed to do was to very slowly listen to what brought me joy. Uh, Justin had become my reason for living. And without him, I was deaf. Uh, Your joyful soulmate. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and um, so I began to listen for what brought me joy. And over time, in my journey, uh, I decided that it was supporting social entrepreneurs, uh, either nonprofits or investing in them. But that's, but that's just a particular. The a better answer to your question is to start, to start with joy and, and a curiosity and give yourself, I, I wouldn't, didn't allow myself to grieve for a long time. I was afraid that if I really felt grief, I would fall apart and not be able to put myself back together again. But the real answer is that when we dive into grief, when we really feel it and accept it, we can let it grow and it can grow us. And grief, more than anything else I've experienced, opens, opened my heart in ways that nothing else could. And I think it's a similar experience for, for many people. So grief can be a gift and grief has deep gifts, but we have to dive into it. And once you're there, you see what you have, see the gifts of yourself, your own inner resilience and, and love that is you. And from there, uh, it will, your own heart, your own intuition will guide you to what, what's next for you. There are people who are listening to us and saying, well, you know, you had this marvelous success with Silver Oak, but that's because you were there early. And how could I possibly have any kind of success when, you know, Napa's already happened and, you know, the restaurant industry is in crisis and that's who I am and that's how people know me and that's where I've made my work and my life. And I can't open up because I can't have 50 seats because I needed 100 to just break even barely. So 50 seats isn't going to make it and I'm, and I'm facing an uncertain future. That's mm -hmm. the common thread, of course. And how can we use this moment? Michael is a big proponent of um, reigniting, reestablishing that passion and joy that drove everybody that's in the hospitality industry in any realm, including winemaking and microbrewing. And, and even if you have a hot dog cart or a five-star restaurant, whatever you do, you do it from passion and joy. And Michael's opinion and mine is shared in that we hope that we can do things that will ignite, reignite some passion to get everyone where they're supposed to go next. Will you, will you talk a little bit about how, Michael, I'm paraphrasing, but you're sitting right there. <laughs> 
we, we talk about this all the time, and it's an important part of your new book, too. Well, you told me not to talk to the monitor. I tell you not to talk dog. He does yes, it all the time. <laughs> Bonnie, she did. She says, this is a very serious person. Don't said, joke around. on the air is what I said. <laughs> no. Well, so one of the things that we see in restaurateurs and anyone in hospitality is this, the fire in them, right, Bonnie? Like, and you, meet, you met a lot of guys as they were first coming up and then they became, right? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the big joke is how do you make a million dollars in the restaurant business? Start with 10 million, right? So already we know... That, that your odds are against you succeed. Um, so what are the things, but this fire inside of them burns off all this negativity, right? It burns, and and I'm an entrepreneur. I've always been all my life and I don't know why. I don't, I wish that I wasn't. I'd rather have just been a doctor, right? I'd rather have been a doctor. Um, but you see the fire and the spark in these guys and you meet them, you know, but then there's other guys like, like Jeremiah Tower, right? Like nothing could turn that guy away. You tell him one thing, he'll it fizzles out from his energy, right? It just keeps going. He just keeps moving forward, right? So, but then that you can bring all the way that down to like a pizza shop owner, where they're like, "Don't, don't, don't do it." But my mom makes these great meatballs. I'm using that recipe. It's going to be amazing. I'm using their. You like how my accent went? It turned into it. And so all this negativity was burned off, right? But now we're finding these same guys in crisis. Jennifer, great word, crisis. And they're scared, right? And they have a right to be scared. I understand that. Be scared. But realize that inside of you is what brought you to where you are anyway, right? And I don't necessarily have the right words personally to express that, but I but I know the feeling. You know, when things get tough, the tough get going. You know, it's, it's one of those yeah. Teddy Roosevelt moments, right? Um, yeah. Rough riders. How do you do it? You know, don't give up. Keep pushing, right? Um, so I think that's Jennifer. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, you know, Bonnie. Kind of, yeah. You so beautifully and personally about grief. Did grief make you more susceptible to fear? Because there was a fearlessness that you and Justin embarked into the world with as a married couple, as entrepreneurs, as winemakers, as industry leaders. Um, and in your book, you write about those moments when grief, when you lost your husband, was so overwhelming. Did grief make you or cultivate a fear? Is that the derivative of, of grief? No, 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 definitely not. Um, I would say it's the opposite. I've become more fearless as time has gone on. And I, I'm a three-time cancer survivor. Wow. Um, and I have no fear of death. I would say me too, but I've only survived once, but it's <laughs> a lot so, of people for us. So good for you. So, um, no, fear, no. What, um, let me just say that we have, uh, Michael, we have the same joke in the wine business, how to make a, a big fortune in the wine business is to, a small a fortune is to start with a big one, a small fortune. <laughs> anyway, um, but, um, I, I would say you're, you're right on. And when, when Justin and I met, uh, the sum total of our fortune was he had a dog and I had a car. Uh, so we didn't start with a lot. That and was always my criteria too. I always said, <laughs> hey, listen, I have a cat. Do you have a car? Let's go. <laughs> exactly. So um, uh, 
so yeah, when you start with with nothing, you're pretty scrappy anyway. And and um, I would say that I would characterize a lot of the decisions that I made. I I ended up primarily doing marketing for Silver Oak as a business group, and I would follow the I would. I would follow the breadcrumbs. I would follow little clues as to what people were really gravitating to. And little by, by little, uh, making some mistakes along the way, uh, we gradually just kept going and kept growing. At a moment like this, you know, what really came to mind, uh, Michael, was the movie Chef, mm -hmm. where, where, you know, a passionate chef just was not able to apply his trade in the way he wanted to and where he was. He gets fired or he leaves, I don't remember which, and starts from his roots, goes back, goes back, and with a food truck. In right. fact, a really, a really trashed food truck, by the way. But those and, things aren't, so in reality, like in real life, that's not yeah. scary to people like you and I who have started off at building what we've done, right? Yeah. You know, Jennifer saw me 20 years ago. I was a few years in, but I didn't have, we have 12 million readers a month now, right? So it's exhausting, but we know we, we followed the crumbs and that's exactly mm -hmm. what I did because, and by the way, while you're following the crumbs, Jennifer, people are trying to sweep them away. Yeah. So you keep right. They're trying to tell you that's not the right crumb. You're following the wrong path. What are you doing? You just, and that was the one of the, that's that's one of the things that I was taught by my mentor. It's you know you go with your gut, you follow these problems, and you know what you're doing. Don't listen to what people are saying, mm -hmm. because every time we went to go in a different path, it, it was a failure. We learned from it, but it was a failure. It was a good that we learned, but our hearts. You know, um, now science is discovering that that there are more neurons in our heart and in our gut than they realized at first. Oh, interesting. And, and so literally following your gut or or listening to your heartfelt inspiration is uh leads to to magic and the and the um very fruitful directions we won't and, have to talk yeah. about it today but this is a book that i would urge anybody that hasn't read it yet to read in this moment in time is is edition two <laughs> perfectly <laughs> fair because, but but this is another one the power of the subconscious mind Bonnie, we, we, we are going to, I don't want to run out of time. And, and my next guest, I'm actually going to bring them on to join our conversation. Um, but one of the things that can limit us in a moment like this is everything we've learned up until this point. And one that will empower us moving forward is everything we've learned up until this point. It can be our limiting factor or our launch pad. And in your second act, following the, the untimely death of your husband, you've become an impact investor with a very particular evolved point of view. And in your own way, what you do as an impact investor is your art. You yes. bring the art and the science. And I'm gonna imagine that in addition to the spreadsheets, you're listening with your heart and your gut as well. I've heard a little bit in interviews that you've done, but I wanted you to talk about the things that you need to hear from a potential investor partner that might inform or inspire people that are thinking about where they're going to go next in their realm of restaurants. Because I think 
well, you may not be starting a charity. And some people would say owning a restaurant is like running a charity. Uh, the reality is it's not whether it's a charity or a restaurant. It's the endeavor that's your passion project. And I was hoping that you could maybe talk a little bit about the kinds of things you feel evidence a successful person's trajectory and how that might reverse engineer back to where people can go next mm -hmm. from this moment of COVID crisis. First, I want to say, say something about investing. Uh, we spoke about alchemy earlier, and I have found that that alchemy when it comes to investing when you take money which is fairly ordinary and people can actually have pretty strong emotions about money they love it or hate it or feel guilty <laughs> about it but uh, money um, through alchemy through investing in in things that make the world better make the soil better make uh, society better um, that is a form of alchemy you're taking something very ordinary and transforming it into something beautiful and life giving, a life force. In terms of things that I look for when I'm uh, considering investing so in someone, I wanna know, I don't wanna know what great idea they have um, because an idea is not a business. A business plan is not a business. Um, I wanna know how strong their team is and if they have a real balance in their team Team. Do they have everything covered, like marketing and finance and leadership and the creative genius? But the creative genius is not the one I invest in. I, I've made mistakes doing that, actually. <laughs> we all have. <laughs> um, so, so those are important things. But then I think uh, a lot of people that I speak with are talking about the new economy. Well, what is the new economy? And I, I believe... And I'm, yeah, I have a, I have to say, you know, say I have a spiritual orientation, but I believe that the new economy, one of the primary characteristics uh, that's needed is a, is a spirit of generosity. And that I see when businesses are generous or trusting, especially at, in hard times, uh, it makes a huge difference. I was uh, relating to somebody earlier today that the day after the San Francisco earthquake, uh, Giannini was on, um, on the streets, on the sidewalk in San Francisco with a card table and money to lend. And nobody filled out any uh, forms for a loan. It was all based on trust. And it was that that created the Bank of America, oh, wow. that generosity of spirit and that trust. Um, and, and Bonnie, you don't know this about Michael, but he's one of the most generous human beings I've ever met. And I don't like to talk about that though. That's not, <laughs> I, have a, I, have a, I have a deep problem with that, right? With this, with, with marketing forgiving, right? That, you know, I don't like that. I don't, I don't, that's, that's a whole nother, you know, it's called cause marketing. It's called cause marketing. And I'm, I don't like it. I don't <laughs> like it. So this is another. You're not really giving. You're giving to receive a lot of times, right? Well, that's, that's right. So you got to be really honest about what's where it's coming from. And right. and people people can tell, right? This I mean, is, Bonnie, 
I yeah. live in Las Vegas, and there's people here that you know. I'm not even going to say names. I did write about him in my book, though. And he's a very big wholesale distributor, right? Mm -hmm. And you would go to a table, and you would go to an event. And I'm sure Bonnie was probably at some of these events. And his name is on the table, donated by Mark, 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 right? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, what is going on here? Like, then it's not really a donate. What are you doing? No. This is most bizarre. No. And by the way, he wasn't donating it because he was going to people like Bonnie and Justin and getting cases. To, right? So it wasn't like someone was writing a check. And I'm like, oh, my. But I learned that and I saw it. I never said anything. This is the first time I've ever mentioned it. But it was, but it was ingrained. And I realized yeah. at that point how disturbing it. It doesn't look good. It just right. doesn't. Yeah. So. It was, it's interesting. Jennifer, you probably know what I mean, right? Well, what I know is that our next guest, Zarella Martinez, is one of the most celebrated restaurateurs in the world. She is not only part of a three-generation family of celebrated chefs, daughter of the original author of a cookbook of traditional Mexican recipes. Her mother, Aida Gabalanda, was one of the great ladies from a time before celebrated chefs became celebrated. And of course, she's the mother of Aron Sanchez from Food Network and was due to be the star of a brand new show. Ah, what? And he was the cover. That guy? Yes. She's having, to, oh, here she is. I was having technical difficulty with her. There. Hold on. I think we, let me get this, this handsome man off of my. How are you? Wait, she's muted. Let's get her unmuted somehow. Still let, me see if I, let me see if I can do that. I think I can. I think I can. Or Zarella Martinez. We're oh. going to work on the technicals. But put, put a picture of our own backup on uh, Food and Beverage Magazine. What a handsome guy. What a hand. But I'm trying. Let me hold on, Jennifer. Let me just try to unmute her. Unmute her mic. Zarella, you're muted. You cannot unmute your mic. Yeah, because I'm, 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 I'm there, you, there you are, my darling. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, right now I'm very busy because uh, I just got uh, the designs for my new website. Yes. And they look very cool. And uh, I'm having all this trouble with this phone. I have the strips that I blew it to, and it doesn't stay up there. Gotcha. Otherwise, I'm moving around a lot with this Phoenicia. From her test kitchen and home in New York City, where at first of all, we've got to say with the uh, epicenter of the COVID crisis, how long have you been shut in and are you okay? You look marvelous. I've been here since Mar March 16th, but I have gone out to buy cat food. <laughs> Every, everybody else, you know, everybody else brings me whatever I want. You know, I want some nopales from 116th Street. That's fine. I want some pomegranate molasses from Colusians. There you go. And of course, I invited for the dinner, so that's a lot of fun. But I have the most incredible ingredients here because everybody is willing to go get them for me. It's been fun. Zarella, um, I want to introduce you to Bonnie Meyer. Uh, she's our other guest today, uh, and she is. Uh, was the co-founder of Silver Oak Cellars, which when um, restaurant Zarella uh, was at the zenith of 
what was going on in the culinary world in New York and when you were doing dinners at the White House for the Reagans, uh, Silver Oak was a part of the culinary world's uh, stratosphere at that time. So the two of you have so much in common mm -hmm. from operating in that and making your art in that part of the culinary world at the time. And I thought it was apropos to have you on together today. Yeah, she said, uh, you're into investing, huh? I, I am. Good to meet you, Thorella. Good to meet you. Yeah, so Silver Oak was, was served at the White House a couple of times, actually, during that era, which we were very proud of. Mm -hmm. So uh, the question that we're addressing today as so many young restaurateurs, operators, professionals in the hospitality industry and the food and wine industry are facing uncertainty. Uh, but ours is an industry that has historically always had a measure of uncertainty to it. There's never really been a sure time to be in the food business or the wine business. Um, and the things that have been necessary to thrive in those times might be the things we need now, or they may no longer be the same things that will get us through. And so I wanted to raise the question with both of you about what do you think we're facing at this moment? And, and do you see any similarities to any moments in our past, in our history in the food business? I don't know. I mean, as far as I, I think we're, it's like an interesting time to buy stuff, but people don't have money. So maybe in that sense, people are going to open on a shoestring. I don't, I can't imagine high expensive restaurants are going to survive. Yeah. You know, because, because people got used to eating really good food at home. A lot of people, I mean. When you started your restaurant, um, you didn't have the backing of, you know, teams of venture capital and financiers. Uh, there was a certain measure of uncertainty then. What were the characteristics that you drew upon to be successful in your in your first restaurants? Well, you, I, you have to be very, you have to take chances. You know, I signed a very, very um, risky contract called a management contract that I could keep the liquor license until I got mine. Never expected that I was going to have a lot of trouble. And he was, he, I couldn't even control my checkbook. So every week he would take $3,000 from my account for me to use the liquor license. Right. And, and, and this is, remember that this is right as soon as the, as soon as that recession hit in, 19, in October 17th, my birthday, 1987. Yeah. So it was a, it was a tough time. And, but I think that a lot of restaurants can rise up from the ashes like that in this, in this, uh, in this period. Both you and Bonnie uh, sadly are widows. And yet I don't think either of you define the work that you do today, the person that you are today. Uh, if I asked you what were the five things, five words you'd use to describe yourself, would you even use that as, as one of the defining characteristics of who you are? No, but I would use mother. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would be like a very big uh, thing for me, to use the word mother. Mother. Yes. Bonnie, I'm going to assume you're in that. Yes. 
I would consider myself a, a mother, an investor, a, a musician. Um, what else? A friend. I have so many. I, I have such a wealth of friendships. And, um, and at moments, a mystic. So I would def I'd define myself in those ways, not, not as a widow. I would, I would describe myself as a pioneer, as fearless, mm -hmm. as a very a kind of perfectionist and original. Ooh, I need to write these down. Pioneer. Original. Fearless. And then I took a lot of chances. Yeah. Yeah. Pizzarella, yeah. I always think of you as an artist. And it's and it's uh, no small coincidence that artists flock to you like a moth to a flame. I have always believed it was because you too are the spirit of an artist as well as an entrepreneur. And it's that combination of artist and entrepreneur that this moment will call for. Well, you know, what's something that, I, that I've discovered in the last two days, because I'm representing a medicine that is helping me a lot with the Parkinson's. I'm sorry, you know, we can't hear you on that one. I apologize. I said that I'm representing this medicine that is helping me a lot with a, the with a Parkinson's that I'm not, not going to mention. But in what, so I'm listening to a lot of webinars about Parkinson's because I want to have to give some. And, you know, everybody talks about what, what great creativity it gives you. And yeah. remember I told you about that? It's fascinating. Well, you know, what's interesting is um, Car uh, Michael and I have a friend. Of course, he was a very dear friend of Michael's, Chef Kerry Simon. And, um, and when we were talking about your journey and um, your path with, uh, with Parkinson's, we were talking about about Carrie and how challenging um, that proved to be for him. Um, and I know we both uh, are joining you in um, in that courage. Talk a little bit about that, Michael. Would you please about the courage that it's when your body fails you, but your well, mind is about the fight. I mean, that's the whole point. Is I, I live I live with multiple sclerosis. I don't usually right. talk about it, but it's the same thing. It's these misunderstood well, neurological, there's a certain right. racism to them, right? But when you're a fighter, you're a fighter. And you, have just to, you have to control them. You know, there, there are ways of controlling them. You have to choose the way you feel. Right. You, you could know, choose to I, feel good I, or you could choose to feel bad. Right now, I wish I could right. choose to stop moving. But whenever I'm doing this kind of stuff, I get really bad dyskinesia. There we go. Let me, let me say something about that. That is, who, earlier we were talking about finding your joy. And one of the, the greatest uh, freedom that human beings have is to choose our attitude. Right. And we can choose joy and peace no matter what the circumstances are. And then we always feel that, right? <laughs> Even if we're in pain or discomfort. Yeah, I have, this, I have a philosophy of life that I say to myself, can I do something about this? Whether it's like uh, that I was late, or whether you know somebody insulted or whatever, and if I can, I do it right away. And if I can't, I just walk away and deal with it at another time when it's more appropriate. That's a great philosophy. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you don't get yourself angry or whatever else at that moment if you if you can save it. Yeah. Aren't we philosophical tonight? <laughs> um, here's some here's some fabulous pictures that I found. Oh, look at this gorgeous woman. Look at that. Her home is an amazing place, and of course, her cuisine is beyond what any of us could have imagined. There they are. Well, you know, we're doing this podcast together, Aron and I, and we're ready to launch the Heritage Radio wants us to try to raise some money, and you know, because because you know they haven't gotten any because of the pandemic. So anyway, so we're doing this this podcast very soon called Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. And every program is dedicated to one ingredient. So oh, wow. it's, really, it's really fun. And we're bringing really cool guests in. And I don't a wonderful interviewer and I tell stories. We're having a great time with it. Well, we had him on our cover of Food and Beverage Magazine a few years ago. And, you- lots, of gr- and lots of girls called and wanted a free copy. <laughs> They wanted a pinup. <laughs> yes. When, when we had him on the cover of the magazine, lots the, of girls were the, the sexiest man, People's Magazine, one of the sexiest <laughs> men. And we should, we should mention that Aaron is a twin if, if we haven't talked about that yet. No, and you know what? He's a fantastic cook, and people are starting to follow him on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And so the name of the new podcast that you can tune into and listen to Zarella and Aaron. Uh, and it will it will have the spirit of Aida Gabalondo as well. Uh, is called cooking in Mexican from A to Z. Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. And it's going to be on, Her- on Heritage Radio Network. The Heritage Radio Network, which is based out of New York, I think that's really marvelous. Um, before we let everybody go, and I I do want to say thank you for being with us today. I'm thinking about everybody out there. I'm going to call them kids because this is still the hospitality industry is by and large a young person's game. But but in every realm, for everybody that's in any aspect of this business, um, in fact, I was talking to John Boyajian today about this very thing. And we were looking in our crystal balls and thinking, uh, where do we go next? And, and what, what happens next? What comes next? Uh, and I wanted to ask each of you, as you look in your crystal ball for what I consider our kids in, in the business, what do you see in your crystal ball? Like I told you, I think that, that little mom and pop places and places that do not require a lot of investment are going to make it, you know, because a lot of these kids have really original ideas about the food. It might not always be the delicious, delicious. But it's usually the hospitality is really nice. So, I, I mean, I've gone to a lot of these restaurants owned by people who are not, who is not a vocation, it's an avocation. Right. So, for now, you know, a lot of restaurants Ooh, like are, are going to be like that, I think, yeah. trying to fill in the, ga- the gaps. Yeah. Zarela, do you, do you think the, the food halls is a good place for these kids or these young people to start? So, they just have sort of smaller booths or sections? Uh, or a lot of overhead. What's happening? We see you. 
How do you like my big glasses? <laughs> I, I was going to mention them. I'm going to get them. They look fabulous. Well, finally, I'm getting my cataract operated on. Oh, okay. I've been going through a really hard time because I can't see, even with these huge glasses. <laughs> so it's been hard to get work done, but here I am. And I thank you so much for inviting me, Jennifer, on, on yet another new platform. You're so innovative. Well, and I would like to answer that question. Yes, you know, a few years ago, it was uh, against the policies locally here in the Napa Valley uh, to have seating outside on the sidewalk. And now restaurants are, are being told that they can open, that if you have outside space, you have a lot more opportunity. And I think that we're going to head, head in the direction of Europe and having a lot more uh, outside space, being dining al fresco in that way, which I, I love. And um, and yes, I agree with uh, Zarela. Yeah, being small is going to be an advantage uh, at this point. And and innovative and fearless. I love that you said fearless because that is such an important part of um, what's going to be required in the next few years. Yes, Bonnie. People are trying to go out. Yeah. Bonnie, one of the things that I, I wanted to make sure we talked about today, in addition to uh, your book and your investment work, um, is the idea that you have come on the other side of your experience as a, as a widow and as a cancer survivor to a place of not only enormous gratitude, uh, but you've got an enhanced, what I'll call uh, awareness and people might assume that because you were a spiritual person in your early life uh, and that you had a, a very beautiful uh, partnership with uh, Brother Justin, who you later married, um, who had his roots in a religious tradition, that, that it might automatically mean uh, that you're a spiritual person. But I'm particularly interested in how that identification as a spiritual person has changed for you and what that brings you in this moment in time. Well, I would, I'm one of the majority of Americans that define themselves these days as being spiritual, not religious. So Justin and I both started out as being very religious and uh, I am, I would, I would not, yeah, I would not say that that's true anymore. That, um, in my in my reading, my studies, my thought process, I I realized at some point that if we're looking for the truth, it resides in that place where all religions come together, and is beyond religion and beyond belief. When you talk in your book and in your public life mm -hmm. on your website, which we should tell everybody is bonniemeyer.com. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your book, because I missed that. Oh, <laughs> Zarella, I'll make sure we get one sent to you. This is, I, I'm almost done with mine, and I'll send it to you. It's so good. It's called Perfectly Paired. Well, what? why am I telling you? The author's right here. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's read this. The subtitle is The Love Affair Behind the Silver Oak Sellers. So it, it talks about the love affair between uh, me and, and Justin, how that infused our life, 
our wine, our business, and uh, and my life going forward. That's wonderful. Yeah. I had and, a great time when he died, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, and one thing I, I might add is that my relationship with Justin continues. He died almost 20 years ago now. Wow. And, and um, in the beginning, there were many sometimes hilarious ways that he would let me know that he was present. And and you then hair dryer or something to that oh, effect. That, that hair dryer is story is hilarious. Um, but then over time, I, I learned how to connect with him through meditation. And, and then now at, the, at present, I really feel his presence in, in every moment. All I need to do is think about him and I feel his big bear hug. And uh, so one of the things that we don't talk about in our culture very much is, is how we can stay connected and how relationships can even grow uh, beyond death. Uh, so it's just one one example of many that that we are more than our bodies that we are that we are a spirit having a human experience instead of a human having a spiritual experience Zarella, thank you so much for making time to be with us today thank you Debbie. you know i love you good to meet everybody Really nice. Darling, stay at least six feet away from all those people, okay? Yeah, I'm very good because I have to. But anyway, lots of love to you and thank you so much. Congratulations on your new show and platform. And it's good luck. Of good to meet you, Bonnie. Good to meet you, Sorella. And good you, luck with the podcast. Good luck with the podcast. Have fun with the podcast. I'll let you know when the podcast. I'll volunteer anytime. I have a few favorite um, ingredients from the desert south. But I hope people know that this entire region where I happen to be broadcasting from at the moment that may technically be called Tucson is broadly known as Sonora. And we are one of the cities of gastronomy designated by UNESCO because this region for 4,000 years has been where peoples have come to cultivate food. And it's one of the con longest continuously cultivated places anywhere in North America. And we have a tradition because I believe if you're cultivating food, and means you're growing food. And if you're growing food, you're growing medicine. And you're growing sharing and conviviality and hospitality. You cannot make food and grow food and not share food. And so it is in that tradition that this Sonoran region Zarella, I have to raise my hand because you are originally from Agua Prieta, yeah. and uh, you 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 grew up being nourished by the tradition of Sonora. And having a ball at Agua Prieta was so much fun. It was just it was just a great time. Like early sixties, we used to have our little casino dances. There was key dances every Saturday and Sunday. Close up streets, you know, put on a band on it and go down the streets and dance and serenade people. It was fun. Really, really fun. Jennifer, do you do that? Do you do you do that, Jennifer? Do you serenade people in the street? I I go to tea dances in my party dress and uh I celebrate the you're gonna laugh at me because I know you make fun of the fact that I use this word, 
I believe that this is one of the most convivial regions of the world. If you go to Hermosillo, Sonora, it is one of the most convivial cities I've ever been to in my entire life. That's beautiful. Yeah. beautiful. All, of my, all, of my relatives, all, all my relatives are there in uh, Hermosillo. Martinez, Corella. And everything is a joyful celebration around table. That's what we try and capture here. What's that, my love? I wish I was there to go to dinner with you. I wish you were here. I still... Thank you. I wish you were too. We'll do it again soon. Soon enough. Soon enough. And Bye. Bonnie, bye, hon. And Bonnie, th thank you for being our virtual guest slash co-host today. You've been wonderful to stay with us. But I was hoping that we would unpack and unbundle this idea that you and Zarella embody so beautifully. Um, thank you. My pleasure. I want to Can give Bonnie you come back? Is Bonnie allowed back, Jennifer? Oh, anytime she, well, you oh, know. I just want to make sure. I mean, you know. <laughs> I, want I want to make sure. I want to give Bonnie the last word, though, uh, and ask her to talk about, um, you know, love and joy. Uh, and she can talk about wine, too, because that's played a big role. But what was really striking to me when I discovered her story, the way that I discovered it through this book, Perfectly Paired, um, is that it's much more about love and joy than wine. And I want to give you the last word on that. Mm. Well, I would say first that, that we too often think of love and joy as emotions. And they actually are state of being. And they're available to us anytime. And if you're going to live life, why not choose love and joy to be uh, as a place to live? It just makes love, uh, life better. So that's Beautiful. my last word on that. And Michael, I'm going to tell you that love and joy are the secret mm -hmm. ingredients to every irresistible dish and that's every irresistible sip. Yeah. And pride and joy are the secret to cleaning. <laughs> pride and joy are what us mothers like to say. No, you know, you, you know what I'm saying, Bonnie? Bonnie gets it, Jennifer. This way. Right over your head. Right over your head, Jenny. I wish I had a graphic. For Maybe she doesn't spend enough time with cleaning products. I don't no, know. No, really not. She must have had a silver spoon in her mouth, Jennifer, from New Hampshire, wherever you're from up there. The from Boston. 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 Uh, thank you, Bonnie, for joining us so much. Thanks for taking you're very the time. Welcome. Bonnie, thank you. Wow. I always say wow, don't I? It's like I'm like Ed McMahon. I say wow. Beautiful people. Beautiful I don't people. think you say wow like it's a script. I genuinely think wow comes out of you because we get wow. Yeah, sometimes I don't know that I said wow yesterday. Wow. Bonnie's nice. I want to go up there and I want to put on like a, um, a big white outfit and I just want to sit with her for hours. You know what I mean? I want to just right? Like, isn't her energy amazing? Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. But it's beautiful because of success. You know what I'm saying? And it's nice to see someone with beautiful energy in our industry be successful. Because everybody that I've met in the industry is just horrendous. 
Jennifer. We go over this all. We list the people, and it's like, can you believe this? It's yeah, but they're, I think, they're not the people that we have on the show. We find the people that do it the right way and are successful. Do you think Bonnie knew who I was talking about? The donation guy. I, I I'm gonna say yes. I think she did. She looked like she did. She would never say that Bonnie. That Bonnie Meyer would never say, but I could. I think she did. Um, but isn't that interesting that that act of his thought, people will look at that as an act of kindness. And I saw that as an act of uh, selfishness, right? And it's burned into my being never to be like that. Like if I do something, you'll never say, well, Food and Beverage Magazine gave this, this, uh, this kid a scholarship or this, that, or that. We'll just do it. We'll just do it. You don't need to tell people. It's okay. You know, what I'm doing right now is I'm creating the Food and Beverage Magazine test kitchens all over the country, right? All over the country. We're going to open up spaces. Now there's a lot of restaurants available and we're going to have all these kids that want to cook. They're going to be able to come in and they're going to cook for their friends. They're going to be able to make money and they're going to have their own restaurant for a night, right? And this is going to go on all over the country and we've, we're already scouting sites, but, but it's, we're going to do, we're going to have a little resource center. We're going to do a lot of charity with it. Obviously we're not charging everybody because some kids can't afford it. You know what I mean? No, no one has to know that. I mean, I'm telling you, Jennifer, and no one else. So whoever hears this, shh. But it's a great idea because it's giving the opportunity of these great kids that are in school cooking and learning how to become chefs and learning how to become psalms. And we want to bring them in and have them do Let's be convivial, right? Let's show the hospitality. Let's feed your friends. Yeah, you can charge them. You can make money, make it a business because it's a restaurateur. You're still an entrepreneur. And you got to learn that. But who better to teach that than the author of this book, Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success, huh? Who's better to teach them how to be successful? And back to what Zarella said, in my book, this book, this book, Jennifer, talks about how to open a restaurant for under $25,000. Right. And it can be done. And okay. I like it. I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome because she's right. You got to feed your family. You know, and if you take your ego out of it all, you can do that. Well, I was going to say, let's build that one step further. If your restaurant needs to be a monument to you, mm -hmm. as opposed to a gift to your guest and a vehicle for connecting with your guest, that to me seems to be one of those success factors yeah. because the end of the day it didn't matter how big you were before covid we're getting like whoosh a, a clean slate you know and who's a perfect example of that jimmy sneed you know jimmy sneed chef sneed chef jimmy no no the frog in the redneck his partner paladin jean louis and he's oh, a, oh, 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 oh. in in dc it was in dc at the watergate and, oh, okay. and yeah okay and Jimmy, it was called the frog and the the frog was paladin and Jimmy was the redneck from Virginia or every, And he always did that. You know, it wasn't a monument to himself. It was right. a joke. It was like the redneck and the frog. Great chefs from around the right. And look what they've done. And then they build a beautiful restaurant and a beautiful, a beautiful careers. And you're right. That's what it's and, about. And, and to a, and to a person and to a person when Jean-Louis Paladin passed away, not a single person did anything but weep for our industry lost one of the greatest greats we had 
not by virtue of the volume of meals or profits mm -hmm. they made, but because he was and remains an example of everything that's great about this business. Yeah, and then we were, I was very big in that time. I don't need to talk. I was we were very big. When Robin Leach was alive and Robin and I would do a lot of these things, we would always try to do as much as we could for that foundation here in Vegas because a lot of those chefs that worked with him and, and close friends of his were here. Yeah. Right? So I actually have a big plate where they commemorated Robin for being the host of one of the events. <clears throat> After Robin passed, I got the plate. And it was, you know, it was a beautiful thing. One of the things I hope the takeaway is from today's show is that when you lose everything and it feels like the end, that if we listen to Bonnie and to Zarella and to your gut, you know that this is not the end. You know that there is a path forward. And it will look different. It might taste different. It might smell different. It might be different. It might, it, it'll be different. We might not know what it is. So long as you have uh, faith of some sort in yourself that will triumph over the fear of what if we don't make it? What if people don't like my food? What if I get a bad land? All those things. But different is good. Different is really and when you and when you started the what ifs were all burned away yeah. because you knew the what ifs. So now it's time to get up, kick off the dust, and ease on back down that road. And it will be fine. It will be fine. But because now I think every at this point with the pandemic, egos are out of this. So watch how much better people do. Get your ego out of the way. They're not going to trip over themselves. That's true. I mean. We're, I, I'm not going to. for your ego to go away. I mean, it's really hard to co-host with you. You are one ego-driven lady. I'll tell you that. I am such a pain in the neck. Like, <laughs> you know, I will say this: every day I pray to live and exist without an ego. And okay. hang on, I've got it right here. You and every day I don't assume ever. I have all these books at my. You know of the four agreements. Yes, you can never assume. Do never assume. Don't ever assume. And by the way, the other thing besides assuming is don't take anything personal. Because believe me, don't nobody's nobody's thinking about you the way you think they're thinking about you. That's right. That's don't my. That's it. Personally, no matter how person, even if someone's standing there going and you and you and you, it's not personal because it's not mm -hmm. about you. No, it's about no. Don't take it personal and don't assume. The two is it's the two most I teach my kids this and they do it and I hear them with the crap, the 22-year-old girl with all the sorority sisters and burp, 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 burp. and I'm like, oh, do you think they're really thinking about you? I think you're taking this a little too personal and you're assuming they're talking about you and no one's talking about anybody. That's just very like very top of the line, but that's yeah. You know, that's what I tell my three-year-old. I tell my three-year-old, Jet, don't assume anything. If you got to make a potty, you go to the potty. Don't assume you're going to be able to hold it in. So today was a day that we turned you on to some of our favorite books. Do you want to start? No, oh, this book? Yes. Like, no, I don't know. I think Bonnie's might be my favorite now. Favorite books day here. I want to see everybody have this many copies, though. That's for sure. Go ahead. And then you've got Perfectly Paired. Beautiful book. Wine lovers and love lovers and joy lovers should all read it. Because joy 
Hello. Joy is the secret ingredient. That's right. Beautiful. I'm recommending these for a reason, everybody. Bonnie talked about listen to your gut. You know what your gut is? It's getting hungry because you won't stop talking. The subconscious mind. And last but not least, we've never we've never gone through like get all these books before, but you'd be extremely well served to we should do a book list somewhere. Do you think anybody would look? Here's Jennifer English's book list. Well, they might look at Michael Politz's book list. <laughs> yeah, right. The other way they'd look. Here's they'd look Michael, everyone that knows me knows that I have like five thousand cookbooks. That I'm I a book have book. I have um, a lot, and I have some of Carrie Simon's. Such a beautiful oh, thing. Lucky, lucky. They're beautiful books. Hey, listen. Right. Yes. Tomorrow, mm -hmm. drum roll. Drum roll, please. Even bigger than today. Never. Nothing's bigger than today. Who's bigger than Bonnie Meyer? Come on. You're just going to have to tune in to check Whoa. us. Wow. Well, thank you. And I think fairly well. You want to say your final thought? Well, I do. I, I want to say, um, find the joy and remember that love is infinite. Hug your kid and count your blessings. We'll see you tomorrow. Au revoir.